Hey everyone and welcome back to The Leadership Project with your host Mick Spears. We bring you thought-provoking guests and topics every week to challenge your thinking about leadership. Our aim is to help you become the leader that you wish you always had as we learn together and lead together. Welcome back to The Leadership Project with your host, Mick Spears. Our vision is to inspire all leaders to challenge the status quo. And we are always looking for people with a very diverse background and interesting perspectives for us to challenge your thinking. Today is no exception, where we are joined by Chris Hewitt, who is a poet, an Australian spoken word champion, and a fighter pilot. And he's going to share his thoughts wisdom and experience about effective communication skills. Please sit back and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Leadership Project, where we inspire all leaders to challenge the status quo. We have a very special guest with us today, and he's actually a very old dear friend of mine, that I used to work with when I was a very young man. And we might talk a little bit about that as we go into the podcast. I'm very pleased to be joined by Chris Hewitt, who is, and this is a true combination, a poet, a businessman, and a fighter pilot all in one. And as you know, we pride ourselves here at the Leadership Project on diversity of thought, finding people with very diverse backgrounds that brings something new and interesting to the table to challenge your thinking. And with that combination, poet, businessman, and fighter pilot, we've got a true gem here in Chris. Chris was in the Air Force for 20 years and was the head of Australia's version of the Top Gun School. He's also a two-times TEDx speaker and an Australian champion in spoken word. So we're greatly honoured to be joined by Chris, and we're going to go deep into the topic of communication skills and what that could mean for a leader. So Chris, please uh, say hello and uh, give us a little bit more of your background and what led you to be with us today. Uh, Hi, Mick. Um, Thank you. Thank you for having me on and for that um, introduction. Sounded a little bit like one of those jokes, a, a, a poet, a businessman <laughs> and a fighter pilot walk into a bar. At, uh, yeah, I, no I, the, I, the work I do now is to help people be uh, perform better at work by being better communicators. And I do like to say that I help people speak with the precision of a fighter pilot and the passion of a poet, um, two, two parts of my, my, my background. I came to this role... Uh, about four years ago, I started my own business called Understood to um, help people be better communicators. But it was a realization, probably based on what somebody said, something said somebody said to me about ten years ago. I was um, performing poetry, so the poetry that I do is spoken word. I, I, I generally write to perform in front of people. And after I'd performed, uh, a woman came up to me and said, "So, how are you going to use your poetry to change the world?" And I. I didn't have an answer at the time. I was sort of flabbergasted. I never thought that I would use poetry to change the world. But at that time, I was working for Lockheed Martin in business development. I was uh, pursuing uh, 
aviation programs um, in Australia to work with the Australian Defence Force and, and also across Southeast Asia. I had been in the Air Force for 20 years. I had been in consulting for a few years after that. And uh, so I had all of this experience, but it was very separate at the time from the poetry that I was doing. But a few years later, after I'd mulled over this, I realised that the thing that I loved doing the most was communicating with other people. It was the, the, the communicating parts of my role. So I was a, a flying instructor, so helping people learn new skills uh, as a consultant, understanding people's problems uh, in business development, pitching ideas to people and, and having influence and being persuasive, and then the creative side of the poetry. So I wanted to bring all of that into the same business and in, into sort of a more holistic representation of what I do and what drives me and, and makes me feel excited about the world, the world, and that is communicating and helping people be better communicators. There's so many things that I love there, Chris. I love that someone came up to you and just said that. Uh, how are you going to use your poetry to change the world? What was your answer when they asked that question? Uh, I, I think it was, it was pretty much... Uh, I, I don't know. Um, I don't, I'm not planning to change the world. But it did make me stop and think, and, and it stuck with me, obviously, for a long time, and I did realise then that that part of my, my experience and being creative in the way I communicate, I use that now to help people improve the way they connect with other people. And I think communication is something we don't spend enough time on, I think, and we can see a lot of challenges in communication across the world right now. So I think that in a very small part, person by person, organisation by organisation, I am changing the world a little bit and using my poetry to, to do that. Well, I'm, I'm certainly glad that that moment happened in your life. It seems quite pivotal and a kind of moment in your life that, that precipitates what you now do. And I think the world is richer for that. So that, I think that's wonderful. I'm certainly glad that happened. Also want to reflect on what you said about uh, having the precision of a pilot and the passion of a poet. Tell us more about that. How does that reflect on communication and how do you bring that to the fore? But a lot of uh, what we did in, in, in any part of the military, but and particularly as fighter pilots, there was a lot of precision to the work that we did. So we had processes that we would repeatedly use. We prepared and planned thoroughly for everything we did. We then executed it using checklists and processes, and then we debriefed afterwards, mm. which meant that we got all the lessons out of what we've been doing. So that approach is, is essential to being a better communicator. Uh, the, the parts we often drop off are, are preparing and then reflecting. And those are essential to improving any, any skill. And if you want to be confident and, and speak well, then you need to be prepared. And having some checklists and frameworks that you can use when you're actually talking to other people is, is very helpful. So that's the, the precision part of my background. Mm. The, that then needs to be balanced with the, the emotional part, which is yeah. oversimplifying, but uh, there's more the poetic part. So revealing a little bit of yourself being vulnerable, which is, which is a very topical concept for leaders right now, and, but it, it's in sharing something of ourselves, showing that we do have emotions, that we connect with others and people are more likely to trust us and they'll listen to what we're saying if we show a little bit of emotion. So those, those concepts that wasn't necessarily part of every day when you're going and planning and flying and debriefing a mission, 
as a fighter pilot, uh, mm-hmm. but it's definitely part of every conversation that we have in the workplace and, and outside the workplace. So you need to bring those, those two elements together in, in harmony to be an effective communicator. I've never really thought of that analogy before, uh, Chris, and it's really quite interesting. And it's something that all of the listeners of the Leadership Project podcast would be aware of is that I do practice self-reflection every day. I do, at the end of my day, I think about what went well today, what didn't go well today, and what would I do differently next time if I had my time over again. And that's Now that I think of it, that is like a debrief at the end of uh, a flying mission or whatever the case may be. And then the preparation is like, okay, what is my plan for the day? Yeah, I can see the analogy there. It's really interesting. Thanks for sharing that. That diversity, bringing all those things together, how do you think that shapes who you are today and shapes the, the way you see the world and how it shapes the way you teach people about communication? One of the, the benefits of, of my background is that I've been to expose, I've been exposed to so many different environments and cultures and countries. Uh, in the Air Force, travelled a lot around Southeast Asia. I was on exchange with the Canadian Air Force for two and a half years and saw a lot of the US then. Um, working for a, a big US company, I got to see a lot more of Asia Again, more time in the US and uh, time in Europe. Uh, I've, I've worked for months at a time in, in South Korea and uh, in Switzerland. So all of these different places, I think, give me the, uh, an ins- I would not necessarily, necessarily say intuitive but because I, I still have to think about it and work on these things, but an awareness that there is a lot of different people out there and we do have some things in common as human beings so the way we communicate and the way we connect and, and what we expect from each other is, is, is common, but the way that it's expressed, so the, the cultural representation, the language, the stories that we tell, these are all unique. So I have had the advantage of having to adapt the way I communicate in different circumstances and that's helped me be a better communicator overall. And I try and share that awareness with other people who may not have been exposed to that yet but just get them to think a little bit broader because the one of the most common difficulties that we have in communication is, is assuming that everybody communicates the way that we do. Um, and, and, uh, and if you make that mistake, then uh, uh, it will eventually it will bite you. So I think yeah. that's, that's what I've been able to get from the, the fortune of my, my background. Great insight there, Chris, and actually it was a, a topic that you and I engaged on on LinkedIn not long back about you know, breaking the golden rule and going towards the platinum rule and not just treating other people the way we want to be treated but treating them the way that they want to be treated and communication is no different to that. Everyone has their different styles and preferences about how they want to be communicated with and the cultural element of that cannot be um, underestimated. So tell us more about some of that cultural kind of learning that you had by visiting and working in all of those different countries. Is there anything you can share with the audience about how to understand a culture as you're moving into a new culture, for example? It, uh, it can be challenging depending on the, the, how much time you have, what the, the urgency in the environment and the project that you're working on. Um, we, we, you need to start every sort of conversation, every activity, 
every every project sort of eyes wide open. You need to be open to begin with. Um, and this can, can't be anything from a, like a half-hour face-to-face conversation like we're having right now mm. to living in, in a Southeast Asian country for three months working on a project. But you want to start off with that uh, curious mindset, asking people questions, noticing the language people use, noticing the way they respond to certain things you say, asking them questions where it's appropriate, uh, asking them why they might have responded in a certain way or what does this mean in your context so you need to be doing less telling and directing and, and more listening and, and understanding and learning. And so long as you start every conversation, start every activity with that mindset, then you'll, you'll get to a point where you might, time might force you to actually come to the point, you know, start to get to the decision or, or, or get to the business. But when you get to that, that point, because you've spent some time learning and, and open, then you're more likely to get to the point in a way which connects to the people you're talking to. Certainly starting with an open mind is got to be key. It's got to be key to that and not starting off with a particular agenda in mind and starting with listening. Uh, one of my very dear mentors that I had in my career, Miller Crawford in Talis, is the head of the ground transportation systems business unit for, uh, for Talis Worldwide. He used to always share with people that you have two ears and one mouth, use them in that proportion. And I think that's uh, really gold advice. And, and there's also very famous sayings. I think most people have heard them, you know, seek first to be, you know, seek first to understand, then to be understood. And I think that's really what you're resonating with uh, there and potentially becomes even more important as you move into more cultures because you're not just trying to understand their thinking, you're also trying to understand the cultural aspect of that. What about the emotion part? You, you intrigued me uh, when you spoke about that. It's something that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, how do you listen to emotion or how do you communicate and understand emotion in communication? Mm, that's, an, that's an excellent question. Uh, I, I, I would start off with the, the sort of preparation part as well. As if you're going to connect with somebody, always think about how they will respond emotionally to a particular topic. So you spend time thinking about what this might mean to them, what is important to them, what motivates them. Uh, also, um, thinking about when you do speak to them, how would you like them to feel? So th- that's a really helpful question to ask when you uh, are doing this sort of planning and preparing is that how do I want the audience or how do I want this person to feel mm. when I'm speaking to them? And there are, there are ways to start thinking of emotional impact and, and emotions and responses you might get from someone. When you are then talking to them, uh, a lot of that then can become intuitive so long as you're listening, so long as you are actually paying attention to the other person. So you need to make sure that you're present. You need to make sure you maintain your focus and your attention on them. You need to balance your statements with questions and listening. And you, you then will notice the responses and the, and the, the, the other person. Mm. And you need to listen for not just the words they're using, but you listen to the, the tone of voice. You listen to their body language. We, we listen with our eyes just as much as we do with our ears. And making sure that you're paying attention and you're present gives your subconscious the opportunity to pick up on those things. 
and then you'll get a feeling that, oh, that didn't sound quite right or they gave me that strange look and that's the moment to then stop and, and ask a question and just clarify how they are feeling in, in that conversation of what you're saying. So they're, they're, um, I, think that, that, I think that answered the question that you're asking. I, I, would, uh, I hope that uh, um, how you might listen for emotion and include emotion in your, your communication. It, it does, Chris, and, and there's some powerful lessons that are coming out of there. Being present and in the moment is really important for so many reasons. Um, and first of all, it's to make sure that the person feels like they are being listened to, that they are being heard, that they're being respected, that they're being valued. Uh, I think that's critical. And then being able to pay attention because as you know more than anyone else, uh, communication is far more than what comes out of your mouth. It's everything. It's uh, it's your body language. It's your posturing, all of the above. And you need to be paying attention to those things to see whether you are connecting. And one of the things that you said there was about you use the, the, the point of pausing and asking a question because you were picking up that, oh, maybe there was a misunderstanding there. So almost testing an assumption on the spot to make sure that there's no misunderstanding is what I picked up from that. Is is that what you were trying to express? Yes. Yeah, I think that two of them, the most underused tools in communication that can be sometimes the most powerful is silence and questions. Mm. So we often... And if we if you take the example of being put on the spot, so if someone says something to you um, and then you suddenly, that gets you back up or you feel sort of threatened or defensive, we usually respond with a statement or a rejection. So it's like, no, you're wrong. Um, but if you, can feel, if you can feel that emotional reaction in yourself and then put it aside and come present back into the topic and turn that into a question instead of a, a, a sort of negative response, then that can be a much more effective tool to understand what the other person said and then also to show that you're listening and you would like to understand and know and know more. Really powerful stuff there as well, Chris. And you're, you're getting now into some of my favourite territory around emotional intelligence. What we started with was picking up the emotion of the other person, but you're also talking about your own mindset and having self-awareness of your own emotions and any triggers that you might need to understand. It doesn't mean you don't, we're not asking people not to be emotional. Emotions are life and everyone will have emotional reactions and, and different emotional triggers. But the ability to put that aside and go or pause and then test the assumption rather than just react with the, the first emotional reaction that comes in into your mind. So, so you're picking up the other person's emotions, but you're also understanding and being self-aware of your own emotions and being careful that your own mindset is not unduly influencing the conversation in a certain direction. That's really powerful, Chris. I, I, I like it a lot. You also, uh, earlier in the conversation, you were speaking about uh, trust, what role do you think communication has in building trust and maintaining trust? Well, I take a very broad uh, definition of communication and, and I, I think that trust is, is almost entirely based on communication because um, we, we communicate not just with the words we use 
but with our tone of voice, our body language, our facial expressions, our actions, our appearance, um, and, and all of these things over time build another person and give, build an impression of our, ourselves in another person's mind. And, and that's where trust comes from. So things as simple as when you greet someone for the first time, you stand up tall, you're open to them, you face them, and, and in inappropriate post-COVID times, you shake hands or, or uh, you know, different cultures, two kisses, three kisses on the cheek, whatever that is. But that is a, a way that starts engendering trust and you've communicated to them that I'm trustworthy and I trust you because I've, I've, I've approached you openly and that in itself makes people trust, trust others. So that's communication and you haven't said a word. So I, I, I think all of those, those things, being aware of what signals we are sending out all the time and not just in our all-staff email or our, or our town hall uh, meeting but we're communicating all the time. So being aware of those things and how it affects people's impressions of us and whether they trust us or not is important. And it's, it, comes, it becomes the most critical when uh, what we say is completely different from what we do or completely different from what our processes or our organisation's mm. procedures or, or what we measure. Often right. what we measure indicates what we really care about, even if we're saying, I oh, know we care about you, but I'm measuring this right yeah so all, all of those things are communicating and they're building trust with people all the time i'm going to build on that chris it's a really interesting point that you bring up at the end there in particular so yes you build trust through communication you build it through being open and transparent and quite often if you are open and transparent and people can tell when you're being authentic and you're being open and transparent it'll be reciprocated and that's the environment you want to build for a, a really solid uh, connection and solid two-way communication. But then you also spoke about actions have to match what you're saying as well. And that's how you kill trust. So unfortunately, there's too many examples of this where you get very senior leaders in businesses that say the right things. They give the right speeches at the town hall meeting. They give the right rhetoric, but then the actions undermine that, and that's where trust can also be very quickly eroded. Your, your thoughts on that? Yes, yeah. Uh, one example I keep thinking about is when I was in the Air Force, and I left 20 years ago, but the Air Force, like a lot of organisations, uh, and it still does, says that people is our, our greatest resource. You know, people are the most important thing that we have. Mm. But then in my flying squadron, what was the thing that we measured every day? We measured how many aircraft were fixed and ready to go flying. Right. So we, we didn't measure anything to do with people unless there were those sort of spikes of, of some sort of event that we needed to respond to. So we were saying one thing, but then we were demonstrating with our actions that, no, we mm. didn't really believe that. And now I understand that uh, the Air Force actually has a, an annual uh, sort of sense te- check that, that's called Snapshot that they, uh, they actually invite people to state how they're feeling and, and how uh, stressed they are and how much workload they've got. So they're actually now measuring people, people factors and they're, they're doing more about it. So that now aligning a lot, lot closer. But before, when the only thing we measured was, you know, whether you've, 
done the job, whether you've stayed up till three o'clock in the morning to get that jet ready to go flying at seven, that was what we measured, not necessarily whether you felt you were the most important thing in the organisation. All right, Chris, I want to come back to another point that you made before, and it is one that I think a lot of people can take something on. So I'm looking for some tips here about silence. A lot of people, and there is a word called or a phrase called awkward silence for a reason because people do find it awkward. But once you master it, it's also so powerful. So what tips could you give to our audience out there, particularly if there are people that do find silence to be awkward, how can people get through that barrier and use silence to its great effect that we know it can have? Well, like all of all behavioural changes, they, they happen in increments. So I, I wouldn't recommend that uh, you, you go into your next conversation and try and make 50% of it silence. But, you know, I, would, I wouldn't say that. But if you were trying to use silence, then try and deliberately in one moment in your next conversation be silent and just note what that feels like and also notice what happens. Because we like to fill silences, then being silent yourself can often give somebody else an opportunity to say something they weren't going to say or they maybe were hesitant to say. So it's a really powerful tool for leaders. If you want to get to know your people and if you want them to be very open, Um, one way to do that is to ask them a question, allow them to respond and then be silent and see if they say something else because often the the something else is the real challenge, the real issue. Uh, You can use it in negotiation as well. It's really powerful in negotiation for a similar reason. It's uh, if you can ask a question or make a statement and the other person says something or the other side, the other team, and then just be silent and see what then is who speaks, who fills that silence? Because that's the thing that's being held onto that would not have been exposed unless you gave that moment of silence. So if you, want to, if you want to learn how to use silence better and become more comfortable with it, then I would just start by seeing if you can do it deliberately in your next conversation, just once. And then in that reflection that we talked about earlier that, that I would always, always encourage you to do. Just remember, what did that feel like? And then what was the result? What did the other person say or what did you learn that you might not have known if you had just kept talking, if you wanted to fill that silence with something else? Um, so that's, that's the way that we can become more comfortable with silence and realise the power that it can have as well. It really does take practice and that's great advice. Start small, start simple and you'll start seeing just how powerful it can be. And you're exactly right, Chris. The, the thing that happens is generally it's that next thing that comes out of that customer's mouth or your staff member's mouth. After that long pause, that might be that little gem that you're looking for that really unlocks what they're really thinking and enables you to move forward on whatever it is that the topic is that you're trying to address with them. So great advice. Start small. But put it into practice and it becomes more and more natural the more that you use it. Yeah, really good. I'd like now to borrow something that I saw in one of your uh, social media posts, if, if we can, Chris. It really intrigued me and I want to work through it. You had an acronym and being a pilot, the acronym was COCKPIT. 
I was very impressed with that. And I just want to walk through and, and see what we can share and keep a lens on this of the fact that our audience is the leadership project. So all of the people that are listening to this podcast are generally looking to sharpen their leadership skills. So if we think about your acronym here and, and let's unpack it a little bit in terms of how we could put that into advice for a leader that's looking to have a strong communication skills. So the acronym is COCKPIT, and we'll walk through it. So the first C was CONSCIOUS. What does that mean? What can that mean to a leader in communicating? Well, if you don't mind, could I just go back a step oh, and sure. just to sort of explain a little bit where the, the analogy came from? If you think about, if you can remember, travelling overseas on, on long-haul flights, um, it, it's a lot of us, we seem to work from C35J or something like that. You know, we're stuck where we are. We've got a screen, maybe a phone, maybe our headphones on. And uh, that's the way that we, we work so much these days. But if you want to communicate effectively and if you want to lead effectively too, because communication, in my mind, um, communication is the, the primary tool of leadership. It is, it is the tool of leadership. So to communicate effectively, you actually have to get out of 35J and get up to the cockpit um, because it's there that you can see where you are in the world, you can see where everybody else is, and then you can see how you can connect with them and your response, the responses they give when you do connect with them. So that, that's, that's sort of the analogy that I encourage people to think of how you can get to that position where you have that awareness. And uh, the, so going back then to the actual acronym itself, the C stands for being conscious of yourself. And it's that, that core of emotional intelligence that we've been talking about. And it has two elements. So it is knowing who you are and your education, your culture, your background, your, your language, your experiences, all of those things mean that you experience the world in a certain way and you have a certain style. Being aware of that and knowing when you might need to adapt your style to meet somebody else's preferences is, is powerful. And the other thing, so that's knowing who you are, you also need to know how you are. And that's mm. being aware of your state and your emotions, your physical state, your mental state, and then being able to control that to be present and right. to be an effective communicator. So that's, that's the starting point of all communication and I would, I would say the starting point of leadership too is being conscious of yourself yeah really great Chris and I, I want to reflect on that a little bit for a moment so the self-awareness very powerful and the, you've come back to that mindset thing as well about uh, not just who you are but how you are and making sure that that how you are doesn't unduly affect the conversation that you're about to have there's one thing that I take from the law of attraction, for example, that if you go into a meeting with the mindset that it's going to go badly, almost nine times out of ten, it's going to go badly, right? So, so, so make sure that you can divorce the, the self-awareness of your own emotional state before you go into, particularly if it's going to be a challenging conversation. I think that's really good. So uh, being, being conscious of who I am, how I am, before any conversation. I really like that. And applying that to leadership. All right, the O was for open. Uh, I think that one is relatively self-explanatory, but please let us know, uh, open. So, so uh, being conscious of yourself and being present is a sort of a continual activity. 
once you then know that you're going to communicate with someone, if you've got a meeting scheduled or you're going to deliver a presentation, the first step in your preparation is to be open to your audience. I would encourage you always, our temptation is to leap to what's our key message, what's our talking points, what's the outcome that we need to achieve. I would put those aside let, they'll come focus, first, focus on the audience, be open to your audience, learn as much as you can about them, think about their, their position, their perspective, and also what their emotional state might be. Because uh, although you can't control their uh, emotions, being aware of that will mean that you're much more effective when you do communicate. So being open to your audience is a starting point in then reaching out from yourself to communicate is, is key. Great. I do like this a lot. And uh, my reflection on that is also uh, thinking that it's not about you, it's about them. And you might have prepared something that resonates with you, but it's, it's meaningless if it doesn't resonate with them. So being open and yeah, that's very good. All right. C was considered. Tell us what considered means. Considered, being considered in your message. And this is when you bring your, your purpose, your goal, your, your message and you balance that with what you've learned about the audience. So to effectively communicate, we're continually balancing being true to ourselves and our role and our, our job, our purpose, balancing that with respect for our audience. And so we want to be open to our audience and, and um, from, from their perspective, it's all about them, but we need to balance that with what are we there for. So this is a leader's challenge all the time you're balancing tasks with people on a, in a very, very simplistic um, sort of leadership model, but you are, you are trying to achieve the task while also considering your audience. So being considered in your message is, is realising that you're balancing these two things. We thought about our audience first. We know what we, we need to do to connect with them. Then how do we can convey our message in a way that is going to connect with them? Great, Chris. Okay, I like this as well and, and this element of balance I think is very key message there. So K was for consistent and firstly I've got to say you are a poet. That allows you to take poetic licence. So consistent with a K, we're going to let you away with that um, poetic licence there. So what, uh, what does consistent mean to you? Uh, consistent goes back to the, the topic we spoke about earlier in, in terms of you're communicating all the time. So being consistent means being aware of it's not just your words. It's making sure that now I've said this, yeah. what are the things I need to do to make sure that I live up to what I've said myself? How am I going to act? What are the ways that I need to set up the processes and the right. expectations and the structures in my organisation to match those words? It's being consistent in all your communication. Yeah, great. So consistent with your values and beliefs, I think, is what it needs to start with to build and maintain that trust. The other one I like to do sometimes if I'm looking at a word like this and I can think of different ways that I could interpret it, sometimes I just like to think of what is the opposite and the opposite would be inconsistent and inconsistent would do the, the very things that you don't want. It would break that trust and it would confuse people. Yeah, really good. All right. I imagine the next one, uh, the P stands for persistent, goes a little bit hand in hand with consistent. Uh, but tell us more about persistent. Well, being persistent in conversation. So this is making sure that your communication is not a straight line. It's a, it's a loop and it's mm -hmm. a continual loop. 
often we're tempted to shoot up a quick email or we, we create a newsletter and we send out the newsletter or we recorded a video and, and send it out to all, all the troops and, and that's all, all we need to do. Mm-hmm. But that's not going to land effectively. We, we need to make sure there's opportunity for feedback and whether right. that's having face-to-face conversations like this so we can get a bit of immediate feedback in terms of our body language and, and facial expressions asking questions, listening, or if it's on a, a broader scale, it might be if you have a, a change program in, in your organisation, is making sure you have those channels to get questions, you get mm. uh, feedback and, and impressions and responses. And then, and this is the essential thing, going the next step to continue the loop and actually responding to that feedback. Mm. Okay. So letting the people know that you've listened to them, you've heard what they said, and adapting your message to better reach them, maybe changing the program in response to their feedback or not changing it but explaining why. So it's making sure you are continually in a conversation because that's the way that we are continually learning about our audience and adapting it to, to, to achieve our goal. Okay, so I'm hearing a lot of things about continuity. That's powerful. But the most powerful thing I'm hearing there is about engagement and a feedback loop, making it a, a closed loop to make sure that the message has been understood the way that you intended it to be and using those engagement tools to be able to tell whether your message has resonated in the way that you expected it to. That's yeah, quite powerful. Thank you. And I is for invested. What does invested mean from a communication point of view? Invested in relationships. So understanding that to improve your communication and make sure your messages are more likely to be understood and listened to and acted on over time, you actually need to spend time on relationships. So this is dedicating time to social niceties, the things that often um, in times like now, you know, when we're meeting people on Zoom like this and we often we switch Zoom on on the top of the hour and uh, we get straight into it and then we switch it off at the, mm. at the bottom of the hour and then we go to the next Zoom meeting. We're, we're missing out on that social connection. So actually making an effort to make sure you do have that, that social chit-chat, you demonstrate that you uh, listened to what the person said last time you spoke to them and mm. you, you generally have considered them and, and you said, oh, so you were going on holiday, how was the holiday? All of those simple things that can drop off when we're busy, when we're stressed, when we're focused on the task, when we are working remotely, when the world is going to, to, uh, um, to disaster, uh, all of those things take away from that. But we, need to, we do need to invest in relationships to make sure that we uh, heard and understood over, over a long period of time. I think that's a very powerful way of establishing a connection and then from that connection you're able to get to a deeper level of communication, both both uh, listening and also uh, what you're trying to express with the person. So really taking the time. One of the things that I talk about a lot is that the words how are you are not a greeting, they're a question. So take the time to listen to the answer and take a genuine interest in the other person. And what I really loved with what you said, Chris, was then also remembering your last conversation and bringing it back to them. There's no better way 
to make someone feel valued and feel like they matter if you've actually remembered. It might be something that was a passing comment in a previous conversation. It proves to them that you matter to them and it proves to them that you are genuinely listening and taking an interest in them. Really good advice there, Chris. I really love that. And the T, we've already spoken this uh, a little bit, but let's go uh, a little bit deeper on it now, trust building. Tell me more about trust building. That's the ultimate goal of all this that we've built up, you know, being aware of ourselves, open to our audience, listening, learning, learning about them, having conversations and building relationships. All of this is to build trust because communication relies on trust. And if people don't trust you, then they're not going to believe what you say. They're less likely to understand it and they're not going to act on it. So being aware of uh, all of the things you say and do give an impression of how trustworthy you are. And to be trustworthy, we need to reveal a bit of ourselves. So we do need to have that, that vulnerability. We need to show people that we're human beings. We need to admit our mistakes um, we need to own responsibility for the things that are under our control. And then we need to make sure that we're not indicating um, that it's all about us, though. It's, it's that balance mm. again. So you, you share a bit of yourself in the service of the relationship you have with other people. And then you allow for them to share a bit of themselves as well. So all of these, the elements we've spoken about over time are building trust, building trusted relationships that make your communication land the way that you intended. There is a balance there that I'm I'm picking up that I think is important for people to think about. Vulnerability is key. I do believe that and sharing something about yourself and, and being humble and being authentic and being open about your own strengths and weaknesses, I think is a very powerful way of showing that. But you also said don't make don't go across the line where it starts becoming all about you and being uh, self-centered instead of centered self, if if that makes sense, right? So having that vulnerability does uh, lend itself to reciprocal vulnerability and openness and transparency. I really like that. And then the ultimate goal of trust. And I think we know more and more about this now, but whatever the relationship is, if it's a, if it's a client-vendor relationship, people buy from people that they know, like, and trust. If it's an employer-employee relationship, people join companies that they know, like, and trust that have shared visions, values, and beliefs. So, yeah, I think that is the ultimate goal. You use all of this to drive towards that. We've spoken a lot, Chris, about, I'm going to say verbal communication, and we've also covered a bit of body language. We haven't spoken too much, we touched on a little bit, but we haven't spoken too much about written communication. How do we embody these tips and these skills into written communication, and what are some of the advice that you could give to our audience with that? I uh, I think that all the same principles apply when you, uh, but the the most complete form of communication is standing in front of somebody else in the same room. So face-to-face is the most complete form of communication and it's the way we've evolved as human beings to communicate. So the same principles apply to written communication, but just be aware that it's more challenging because those elements of 
body mm. language and tone of voice have been taken right. out. So being aware of how you come across in the, the language that you use, the language you might tend to use, um, so that being conscious of yourself is, is still um, an important part when you're writing uh, an email or, or writing a message. And then being open to your audience, thinking about how you're going to connect with them and demonstrate that you've thought about them and couch what you're going to say in, in ways that connect with them. And then being considered in bringing those two things together, your purpose and the, and the, and the audience's goals, that all of those things still apply to written communication. I think one of the, the key things, and we have so many more tools to do this now with video in particular, really easy to make videos, is to wherever you can combine channels of communication. So if you're going to send out an all-staff email, then do a video form of it as well or back it up with a once every quarter, a town hall meeting sort of thing. So you do, you are there having that conversation, that persistent in conversation, you're, you're allowing for that feedback mm-hmm. loop and you're also making up for the fact that the people couldn't see you when they were reading your words. So thinking multiple channels to, to back up your communication. If it's with your team and you're sending out these emails regularly, then the multiple channels thing is, is having regular face-to-face meetings mm. that might cover, you, you know, you might have sent out 10, 20 emails in a week that were about tasks, but you have your one weekly team meeting and give people the opportunity just to clarify that they understood what you put in those emails. Yeah. So balancing the written with the verbal and the, the face-to-face and giving opportunity for that feedback, they're the, the, the ways to make sure that your written communication is as effective as it can be. That's great advice, and I like that idea of, about that multi-channel and reinforcing with other uh, mediums because it's not a persistent uh, mechanism to write an email. It's a, it's a once-off, and you're relying on how the person is going to interpret that email. And you're not able to do the real-time, like you and I talking here on Zoom, and I can see your body language, I can see your facial reaction immediately to know whether you've understood or misunderstood what I've said. So your body language, everything. And if you haven't understood, you can ask me straight away, mid-sentence, oh, hang on, Nick, what did you mean by that? You can, it's, it's dynamic and persistent, uh, whereas written, the email gets sent, and, and in a multinational world, Sometimes that email is getting sent to the other side of the world in a different time zone and the person is going to read it and potentially, if they've misinterpreted it, dwell on it for for all day until they can check it with you and, and get into what I call email ping pong where you just get emails bouncing between each other where both parties are not really understanding each other. And the other one is that's missing, you mentioned about the voice and verbal, is tone, of course. It's very difficult to express tone in written language uh, and to have the meaning that you intended to be uh, to come across. So I really like what you said about following it up. The other thing that I tend to do, and uh, like your advice on this, two things. When I'm writing an email, particularly if, I, if it's a critical one, I will read it back and I look for ways. I try to do almost like a blackout thinking. How could someone interpret this email in a different way to what I'm intending? And I do a little bit of testing if it's critical. I can't do it for everything. Uh, but if it's critical, I try to do that. That's number one. And number two, 
when I get back a response from someone where I scratch my head and go, how did they, how did they get there from my original email? I won't think about their communication. I'll actually pull out my original email and I'll read it again and go, okay, how did they get there? What's your reflections on that? Well, you have one of the things with with email is that you have no idea when the person's reading it what state they're in, what mm. else is going on around them. Um, like now, people working from home, you don't know if they're reading your email while they're also trying to homeschool and and the, the dishwasher is going and, and things like that. So you've got no idea uh, what what uh, their mindset is when they read it. So it, you. I really like your your ideas actually of making sure that you make it as clear as possible and see how it could be misconstrued. But even once you've done that, then sometimes there'll be things that are completely outside your your awareness and your control, and people are going to um, misunderstand or or, or uh, you know take a, take a message in a completely different way from what you intended. Which is one of the reasons why, for really important things, backing it up with a, a phone call. Or another form yeah. is is can be powerful. So one of the things that we've seen recently is the explosion of some tools that can help you with your written communication. And I'd love your thoughts on this. So, and I don't know if you've used any of these yourself, Chris. And I'll be honest, when they first come out, I was a little bit dubious of it, but I'll share that in a moment. Uh, tools like Grammarly or the Hemingway app. Have you used any of these in your written communication before? I, I use both of them regularly. So tell us about that. How does that help you and what's your advice for our audience with tools like this? Targeted constructive feedback is always useful. And uh, in particularly when you're writing things, things that are going to be read over and over and, and um, uh, have a sort of permanence, I want to get it right, you know, as, as, clo- as closely as I can and, and make it as clear as possible. And uh, in the past, we might have got that benefit by having somebody else review a document we'd written, or or um, have some you know someone editing work. Well, Grammarly and, and Hemingway and, and tools like that do that for you very very quickly and quite simply. And they will pick up the things like you you forgot to put a the or you put the the uh, in you know those those sorts of simple mistakes. And they'll also point out areas where you've written something that's not very clear and they say, I think you could improve this sentence or they may give you a suggestion. And by doing that, it helps you make your writing clearer and more concise. And if you stop and take note of the recommendations they're giving to you, then over time you're actually your writing improves by itself. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd strongly encourage people to use tools like that. And I don't necessarily always take their advice. So it, it, it is just like getting somebody else to review your work. Yeah. Sometimes you go, no, actually, I, I, want, I wanted to say it this way because this is the way I wanted to say it. Yeah, it's just a tool and it's a point of reference and use it uh, as exactly that, use it as information. So I've started using the Hemingway app and I mentioned that I was a bit dubious to start with because I think I'm a reasonably good writer, uh, kind of pride myself on it. What I use it for and what it's really helped me with is to simplify my language. And they talk about writing for a either a grade three or, or maybe a, a maximum grade nine education. And often, particularly if you're 
an expert in your specific field with a lot of domain knowledge, potentially a lot of terminology that you use all the time and you're very familiar with, and you write in your natural style and you put it into the Hemingway app, it'll come back and say, yes, this will be understood by someone with a postdoctorate kind of level education. It's like, whoa. And then you look back and go, oh, yeah, I can simplify this. And it makes me start to think about, well, the audience that I'm writing for, like I've been in my industry for you know a decade and a half, I've got a lot of built-up knowledge and understanding of my industry and use a lot of industry terms. The people that I'm writing to and for are not necessarily that uh, experienced and that knowledgeable in the domain, quite often not at all. They're, they might be absolutely new to it. So breaking it down into simple language is something and adding on to that, also, you've got to remember that there's 7 billion people in the world and not all of them have English as their first language. So if you're dealing with someone that's uh, come from a multicultural background who might be very good at English but didn't grow up in, uh, in an English-speaking world and it is their second, third, fourth, or even fifth language, breaking down the language into something simpler is also going to help them a lot. So that's how I use it. I use it to simplify my sentences and simplify the language that I use. So your thoughts on that? Well, there, there is, for people who have detailed technical knowledge, there is always that temptation to use all of it and, and demonstrate mm. it in the way you communicate. But there have been studies that show that you appear more intelligent the simpler your language is. Right. The, the the more clearly you explain a topic, and uh, and that's through using shorter sentences and using common phrases and uh, using metaphors and images that we can all sort of picture. Mm. The better you do that, then the more intelligent you appear. So sometimes that uh, the the t- tendency or that feeling you want to have to show all of your knowledge that can actually backfire and and people mm. who don't understand or can't exactly follow your your language to, and the words you use um, think that you don't know as much as you actually do. Yeah, I think you're onto something there. People do think that you're trying to portray a certain level of intelligence. They see right through it uh, if that is what your intention is, of course. And uh, there's a very famous uh, Einstein quote that says, when you're trying to explain something to someone, make it as simple as possible, but no simpler. So you need to get your message across, but you don't have to overcomplicate it. And all it does is lose people. Um, For everyone in the audience, that's the call to action for you to think about. Uh, As you continue on your journey of communication, have a think about how you could simplify what you communicate. And you'll actually find that it can take a little bit longer to break a complex thing down into simple language, but it will uh, will reap massive dividends if you're able to do that. And maybe if I could uh, just go back to your question about emails and uh, Hmm. when we talked about that and and another thing that I try to do is to make my emails as simple as possible. I, I try to make them as short as they can be. Uh, I know there are other people who tend to put a lot more information into their emails. And there's a couple of principles that I use to help me do this. And one is the a military term called bluff, bottom line up front. Up front, yep. So make sure that the first line says, this is what I want you to do, or this is the, the you know, this is why I'm sending the email. So the clearer that line is, then, and because you put it up the front and not hidden in the body of the email, 
then it's less likely people are going to misunderstood what the intent of the email was. And then as a maximum, only provide three points that justify or or elaborate. There's a, a psychological phenomenon known as the dilution effect. And the more reasons you give for somebody to do something, the less likely they are to do it. They're more likely to believe if you stick to a couple, three at the most, three reasons. If you give them 10 reasons, then suddenly you've diluted all of the reasons and people go, oh, that's not a really really good thing to do. So so, uh, bottom line up front and stick to three three reasons and uh, that can also help simplify your messaging and make it clearer and more compelling. That's brilliant advice, Chris, and that, I think that applies to presentation skills as, it, as much as it does to written skills. And it's, it can feel counterintuitive because you think that the more arguments I add, the more compelling my argument becomes. But that diluting effect is very real. The other two dangers that come along with that is the human brain only has the capacity to remember a, a certain number of key messages anyway. So. Uh, you're a TEDx speaker, you would know this very well, that people will take away maximum of three things from from your amazing presentation that you prepared all that time with. You want them to take away the three things that you wanted them to take away, not the three things that they chose to take away, right? So so be really clear about those those three key things. The other thing when you add the 10 or the 17 or however many points you've got, it only takes one of them to be slightly wrong for your entire credibility to be blown, right? So you, you, you stand there and you've got 10 things and nine of them are crystal and the 10th one is just not quite right and your audience picks on, oh, I don't know about that Chris, he, he said that blah, blah, blah and that's not right and that's the one that they'll remember instead of the the three gems that you started with. So, yeah, great advice, Chris. I'm loving this conversation, by the way. All right, with uh, email, we are talking now a lot about uh, a digital transformation as well. Let's talk about the digital world for a while. How do you think communication has changed in the digital world, maybe particularly the last decade or so? I think that well, go back to a very important concept is that human beings started communicating with each other about um, tens of thousands, maybe a hundred thousand years ago, and we were standing in front of each other beside a fire, and we were making grunting sounds and maybe pointing. And that's our, that is our evolution. So we haven't really evolved beyond that. That's the way we we communicate best is when for, for most. Most people, so I'm talking about um, and a lot of, I, I will actually caveat that a lot of the advice I'm talking about is for neurotypical um, people in, in a business environment that we're talking about here. People, there are people who experience the world differently, but for the, for the majority of people, standing in front of somebody else and having a face-to-face conversation is the most complete way to communicate. Any other form, whether it's written or, or digital form, starts stripping parts away from that completeness. And so you need to work a little bit harder on making sure that you break your message up into, into chunks, pause, give an opportunity for questions, ask questions yourself to make sure you've been heard and understood, use multiple channels like uh, we spoke about before. So back up a, a, uh, an email with a phone call and, and other, other ways. So 
you need to be conscious of that when you are trying to communicate through any way other than having a face-to-face conversation. Recently, though, and COVID has accelerated this, we are finding ways that digitally we can get closer to that face-to-face conversation, but it's still not perfect. But a lot more workplaces now have the opportunity to have things like a Zoom call, and that's become standard uh, in, in a lot of workplaces is to use Zoom or Teams and to have video. And that just is so much better from, from knowing you know, my experience, and I'm sure you've had it yourself as well, working for a multinational company, being on those 3 a.m. teleconferences and, and, and then suddenly being woken up because you hear your name and, 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 you, and then you have to go, oh, sorry, I didn't quite hear the question. Could you say it again? And at least we've advanced now, so we're on video. It's much easier to pay attention to see what other people are, what's happening and, and, and connect with others. So I think the digitally that space has, has moved and, and, and it's helping us be closer to face-to-face, but it's still not perfect. It's two-dimensional. You can only see part of somebody's body. You can't see the environment around you. I can't really see um, Jane here and John here and Simon yeah. and, and Margaret all at the same time while I'm talking to you. So it, it, it is more tiring and it's also easier to be... Um, misunderstood and to misunderstand others so you didn't yeah. need to take a bit more care but we, we have taken some taken some leaps and bounds now um, and in particular uh, the quality of sound is is really good oh, yeah. so hearing people's tone is is better and the opportunity for video helps yeah I think it's really advanced in the in the last 18 months and there's not too many things that are good that come out of COVID, but that is potentially one of them is that we are making advancements on this. Uh, the other one, it's a little bit of a tangent, but I'll share it with you, is um, I feel quite honoured that we're getting uh, a window into people's lives. So we're seeing people, uh, work-life balance is right in front of your eyes. So you're actually seeing the mother or the father that is helping their child get a drink of water or uh, the son that comes in a, in a Spider-Man's outfit or the daughter that comes in and asks the father a question, etc. You're seeing uh, a window into people's lives that we didn't see before, which does help a little bit with empathy around work-life balance. We haven't achieved the work-life balance that I think we need to. It's still a very immersive uh, world that we uh, that the the business world has gone to but there are some things that maybe when we talk about a new normal there might be some lessons some positive lessons that we can take not just negative lessons from that um and yeah i agree with you it's still not a replacement for a a human interaction in a three-dimensional world but it has improved quite a lot in particularly the last 18 months and our use of that technology is improving all the time couple of challenging ones for you we'll see where we go with this one social media good bad or indifferent in terms of communication oh we're sort of working right out to the boundary of of my area of of expertise uh i i think that there are a lot of benefits to social media it allows you to stay connected with other people that you you wouldn't have um the networks that that you and I and your and your listeners uh, will have with people across the world are, are unthinkable from 
you know, we might have had pen pals when we're, you know, mm. 30 years ago, 40 years ago, we might have had a pen pal, one pen pal, or maybe one in, in two or three different countries. Now we have connections across the world that we can almost instantaneously message and get a response the next day or, or even quicker. Uh, so I think that's, that is fantastic for communication. Um, I think there is an aspect of social media that uh, has exposed us to things that we wouldn't have been aware of before, um, being, being aware of the way that some per- certain people think or opinions uh, mm. out there, which can be challenging. And there is an, an anonymity sort of aspect, which also means, unfortunately, because people are not... The, they are not engaged in a face-to-face conversation with another human being. They are yeah. responding to a message, a right. disembodied message online. Um, that damages the way that people communicate. Uh, they're, yeah, they're, they're my off-the-cuff thoughts <laughs> based on my understanding of communication. Yeah, that's quite good, Chris. I appreciate your, your thoughts there. And, and to me, it's a mixed bag of all of those things, a connected world. The fact that you and I are having a, a chat today we reconnected after not seeing each other for 22 years is my calculation because of LinkedIn, right? So it, it is a powerful thing. And when used for uh, good, uh, it can be a very powerful communication mechanism to get a message out there to a lot of people. And when used correctly, an engaging message that has that ability to respond and react and, and all that kind of stuff. But, but then there's also things like, um, you know, potentially that our attention spans are getting shorter and shorter through some of these platforms. Uh, there's also th- things like trolling and, and people that use it for malintent, which is not great. And, you know, I'd like to see us do a bit better with some of those things for sure. I would say if you, if you wanted a bit of advice for the, the people who tune yeah, into please. the leadership yeah. project, I'd just be aware of the, the things that you've spoken about it and, and we've, we've talked about as well is that being consistent in the way that you communicate. So even if you're on social media and all of the social media, then doing it in a way that's consistent to the way you would communicate to someone face-to-face and being aware that all of those things, all of those messages build up to give people an impression of you, to, to uh, give you a reputation. Hmm. And, and whether the people can trust you or not. So uh, making sure that the way that you communicate every time is, is the way that you would if you were respecting the other person and you were having a face-to-face conversation with them and yeah, be consistent with your, your values and, and, and the principles you live by. That might be a good segue to ask a, quite a left-field question. We'll see where we go with this one. Emojis. Emojis, are they a powerful communication tool are they good they bad they ugly what what's your opinion on emojis i think they're good uh the we have emojis because text has no tone um Ah. and and so we we put emojis in there to try and make up for that and to give some tone um they do sometimes not always uh, and they can be misunderstood and uh, i think if you're using emojis you need to be thinking about the, like you, the way you said for your email if i include an emoji to this person what's one way that they can misunderstand what i've misconstrued what oh, i've said or yeah. you know or, or they take it as being trivial but i, I think any way that helps uh, humanize the way we yeah, communicate okay. and connect better with others I, I think is good someone only the other day mentioned a, a, a factoid i hadn't heard or thought of but they said 
that uh, there's a limited, not a limited, but there's a, once you get a certain number of expressions of, of words, uh, then it, it qualifies as a language. So uh, I think we've almost reached enough emojis that it's going to become a language in its own. And, and in oh, theory, wow. you could have, you could uh, possibly have a conversation mm. with just I'm, emojis. I'm, I'm fluent in emoji. I, I'm just waiting for that world. That's, that's quite interesting. Um, so good. I, I really like what you said. So it does give us a, the opportunity to potentially bring some some tone uh, to be able to tell someone uh, when you're being sarcastic so that they don't misinterpret, for example. But once again, to be careful. And I'll just reference some some work of this was pretty groundbreaking work actually by Erica Darwin on uh, digital body language. That's uh, D-H-A-W-A-N, Erica Darwin. If anyone looks into that, she goes into this quite uh, deeply about how it can be quite powerful but also how it can go wrong, making sure that when you are using those emojis as an example, that the way that you intended it to be interpreted isn't being interpreted in a completely uh, opposite sense and, and potentially even creating some emotional distress for the person that's re- receiving it. So powerful tool, use it appropriately and and use it mindfully, I think would be the, the key one there. All right, I hinted about this one uh, before we started recording, Chris. Um, I want to talk about difficult clients now. So we've been giving a lot of, and difficult people, difficult clients, someone that's not in a good mindset on that particular day, you can take it any way that you like. We've spoken a lot about setting up uh, virtuous communication and setting the scene appropriately and, and a lot of positive things to do to have effective communication. Any advice for our audience I'm sure that everyone has had these moments many times over where you are communicating with someone and what you're getting back is a challenging situation. They're clearly not ready to listen to you today. There is there's something going on where then they're not engaged in the conversation. There's something about them that uh, it's just not going to work at this moment in time. Any advice? Well, if you have that awareness that it's it's not going to work, then you're going to have to um, walk away and set up mm-hmm. another time. Yeah. Uh, the the one of the principles of, of the way that we communicate is and and the way that we behave as human beings is that we're emotional beings, and there are some emotions that actually block us off from communicating with others completely, yeah. and and these might be fear, anxiety, it, it could be anger. Um, some of these things, if you are experiencing them from somebody you're trying to communicate with, then you have to realise that they're not going to hear you. And the way, what they say, you're likely to misunderstand what it is they're trying to get across because of, because of emotion. So in those moments, you, you have to manage their state first before you can get back onto the topic. And if it's someone that you have the opportunity, you could just sit ask questions and listen and give silence and that may bring them back into a state where they're open to communicate or if it if it's someone because of your relationship or because you feel actually threatened uh, you can't stay there then you just have to aware that you 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 could say 
it doesn't look like you're ready for this conversation right now. I will make another time and leave. Yeah, love that phrasing, Chris. And uh, and of course, the danger is putting fuel on a fire if, if they're in in one of those mindsets. And it could be that their reptilian brain is is kicked in and they're in kind of fight or flight mode, and and therefore. Uh, not even emotion is coming into it at that point. It's actually uh, survival is is kicking in in where they're where they're sitting at that moment. You need to get that to calm down and get back to either the limbic brain or the or the frontal cortex for them to be able to have a rational conversation. So yeah, um, yeah, I think the the way you described it. Um, saying to them very openly, look, you don't appear to be ready for this conversation today. I'm going to give you some time. Uh, Let's talk about this another time. I think that's the way because any other course is most likely going to spiral or, like I say, put fuel on the fire, not not the opposite. It's great advice. Thanks, Chris. Got one more I'd like to ask you about. It was a post that you did on LinkedIn uh, not too long ago. You spoke about the power of... I think you called it a walk and talk, but uh, uh, correct me if I got the, the termino- terminology written down wrong, but you spoke about when you were commanding officer of your squadron and you had that ability to be able to walk the flight line uh, in between your, your office and your and your aircraft and to be able to stop and talk to everyone from uh, cleaners through to technicians through to clerical staff, et cetera, on the way. Tell us about why that was important to you and and what you take away from that. Yeah, I didn't realise it uh, fully at the time how powerful that was. But when I went when it flying to get to my aircraft, I had to actually walk through the entire squadron, the entire organisation, several different buildings. Um, but we had to move through all of those different buildings to pick up pieces of equipment and and then go and check the status of the aircraft before I then went out to, to the aircraft on the flight line. And in doing that, it meant that I walked past somebody from every different functional area in my organisation. And it was usually after we'd been flying and, on, and, and doing the opposite, coming back to my office, that I had the most time to stop and talk to people at each step and, and say good day and, and just do that relationship-building Thing with individuals and uh and just by being present you would always hear something or you'd get a bit of a complaint or, or someone would talk about something just because you're there and uh, that just gives you a, a great awareness of what is going on in your organization you're not there to actually change what someone's doing or change the way they're doing something unless it's unsafe mm-hmm. so you're not there giving direction you're just there listening Asking yeah. questions and then and doing some social chit chat, but doing that gives you so much awareness. And uh, go all the way back to the seat thirty five J. If you are doing your work, if you're trying to lead a team or an organisation from seat thirty five J, then it's not going to work. You, you your communication. You mentioned that the email that you might have sent an email and someone interpreted it a way that you can't understand mm-hmm. how they interpreted it that way. Well, that's maybe because you don't know what's going on in this in their environment right unless you get out and walk around and see what's going on then your communication is going to be thinking a certain way and you'll miss out on that awareness that you go oh okay 
I, I didn't realise that at the end of every day this sort of thing happened yeah. or this particular part of the organisation is really busy at this time of the day, so I won't send them an email at that time of the day or what, whatever the example is, they're the things you don't pick up if you just stay stuck in your desk. I'm taking a lot away from that, uh, Chris, and uh, words that are coming to my mind are, are ones of uh, empathy. You mentioned awareness. I also am hearing a provision of a psychologically safe environment where people feel that they can be open about what's going on, what's going well, what's not going well, and that you're providing that environment that allows them to uh, do so. And then come back to something that we said at the very start of the interview is then making them feel valued and, uh, and making them feel like they belong to something bigger than, than, than what they are. Uh, so I think that's uh, wonderful advice and uh, difficult in a COVID world. Let's talk about that for a moment. So how do you replace that, that walk and talk in a COVID world? Well, I'll, I'll rephrase, a work-from-home world. Um, so. Right. Well, uh, you can do There's some, some other things that you might be able to do. So uh, say you have five direct reports and they have weekly meetings with their direct reports or their teams. Then maybe over five weeks you turn up to every one of the, your direct reports team meetings online mm. just for the first 15 minutes or something or maybe the last 15 minutes. And, uh, and, and you say, say how things going, anything that you wanted to give me, any feedback, and then maybe leave them with, so here's the three important things as the boss. Um, so just to convey your, your intent, your, your, your goal, you're not in the meeting to change what that direct reports telling their team or how to do their work. You're being there to be available and mm-hmm. to just reinforce your, the goal, the vision that you have for the organisation. So that, that's one way you can do it. You can uh, have virtual town halls, um, maybe break it up into silos, so different parts of your organisation or even levels can sometimes be powerful. So you can have a town hall that's just with all the, the whatever level one people or, or what, however you level people in your organisation. Uh, and that is another way of being present and allowing for some feedback and some, some comments. Um, and then you, you might... Uh, have virtual coffees with hmm. almost random people from across the organisation. So you, you could uh, ask in your, another way, you might be able to ask your direct reports that each week you just nominate someone from inside your, your part of the organisation and, and I'll, I'd like to have a coffee with them uh, and, and you just have a virtual coffee over 30 minutes and, and just make it about getting to know each other. And, and that in itself is just creating that psychological safety and that connection and that awareness. And in that conversation, just naturally will come up things that are happening or if that person has a concern, once, they've, once you've shown that you're there and you're listening and you're not judging, then they might, they'll feel free to share it with you. So there are some of the ways that you, you might be able to do it. You have to be a little bit more creative than getting up and just walking around the building um, because we're not all walking, working in a building these days. Yeah. That's great advice, Chris, and I think that's something uh, called action for the audience again. Give these techniques a try. Uh, listen to what Chris is saying. 
uh, it is a different environment now that we're in work from home. Uh, sometimes a positive thing, sometimes a negative thing. So let's work on what we can do to make uh, our our teams feel valued uh, and and feel like they're still connected to to the organisation and uh, that they contribute to, and to have that connection and to have that psychologically safe environment to speak their mind. That's really great advice. Thank you, Chris. So that brings us uh, towards the end, and I always ask the, the the same two questions at the end, or variants of them. In fact, Chris, I don't ask the same question identically each time. But the first one is, uh, what's one thing that you wish you knew in your 20s that you know now? So, And great question for you and I because we worked together when we were in our 20s. So what's the one thing you know now that you wish you knew back then? Uh, and I'd say, I'd say something that I know now but don't always practice, but um, back there I was saying um, not having the conversation is always worse than actually having the conversation. That's really powerful, yeah. Okay. I've got to take a lot of self-reflections on that. Uh, I have a tendency. Now, now I'm oversharing here. We we'll just turn this into a coaching session. I have a tendency to delay uh, confronting conversations, and, and, it never, and it never goes as bad as what I play in my head. Right? So I get anxious about that confronting or challenging conversation, and then when I have it, it's like, a big weight off my shoulders and off my chest. Ah, oh, that wasn't so bad. Why did I wait so long? So, yeah, really good. Uh, that's, that's a really uh, insightful answer to that question. Thank you, Chris. And the final one is I, I like to always give the, the floor to my, my guest at the end of every episode. If the audience would like to know more, Chris, and, and learn more about your services and get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to, to look into what we've been talking today and get in contact with you? Well, the best way to connect is, would be LinkedIn. I am, as you've mentioned several times, I'm, I'm active on LinkedIn. Uh, I, found it a, I find it a great way to, to practice talking about the things that I'm, I'm talking about. So Chris Hewitt, H-U-E-T, I assume it will be in the, the, the notes yeah. there, but it's unusual spelling, um, and, and find me on LinkedIn. I am a keynote speaker, so I do speak live when I can and virtually. I've got a lot of experience um, recently doing virtual talks, and I have a, a website which is chrishewitt.com, quite simply, and my company is called Understood. And so understood.net.au is where I have information about the consulting, coaching and, and workshops that I, I run uh, under, that, under that business. So there, there are three ways. And on both of those websites, you can find email addresses and phone numbers if you, if you want to have a chat. Excellent. Thank you so much, Chris. And, and just for the audience, uh, uh, I will say, please do look up Chris. Uh, very insightful things that he uh, posted on LinkedIn, some great videos that he's also shared uh, on his uh, channel there as well. And take the time to have a look at uh, Chris's two TEDx talks. They're, they're really quite uh moving and meaningful. I, I really enjoyed uh, both of the ones uh, that I've watched. It's uh, two that you've done, right, on TEDx? Yes, so. two. Yeah. And, and I should really say they're both, they're both uh, poetry-based. They're both poetic uh, pieces. Yeah. But so many lessons to take out of them. Uh, I, I shouldn't have said but. I mean, poetry is a very powerful thing. 
really insightful poetry is, is what I would say, and I, I encourage you all to have a look at it. So we will put Chris's details in the show notes so that you can uh, look it up yourself. I do encourage you to do so. I encourage you to stop, pause, and self-reflect on some of the things that we've discussed today and think about your own communication style and what you can do to continue to sharpen the saw and, and always improve what you do. Thank you so much again, Chris. It was lovely to connect with you again after all this time. Uh, I hope we uh, continue to do so and look for, have you maybe come back on the show again sometime and share more with us. Uh, thanks, Mick. I would, I'd love that. And hopefully maybe even get to be in the same country sometime next year, maybe, or you know, from, month, from that time on. That would be great. Yeah, excellent. All right. Thank you so much, Chris. Stay safe. Thanks, Mick. You too. You've been listening to The Leadership Project with your host, Mick Spears. We really hope you enjoyed today's show with Chris Hewitt sharing his experiences on effective communication skills. We look forward to bringing you more great content in the near future, including our next episode, which will be on team culture, team building, and team charters. Please don't forget to hit subscribe on your preferred podcast service so that you are notified of all of our future episodes and it would be greatly appreciated if you could leave us a review or some comments. We're also very happy to announce our new Facebook community group that enables you to have an interactive dialogue with us to ask questions and to leave your own thoughts on what it means to be a leader in a modern world. Please do take care, look out for each other, and always remember to challenge the status quo. Listening to the Leadership Project at mixbeers.com. A huge call out to Faris Sadek for his video editing of all of our video content, and to all of the team at TLP. Joanne goes on, Gerald Calibo, and my amazing wife Say Spears. I could not do this show without you. Don't forget to subscribe to the Leadership Project YouTube channel where we bring you interesting videos each and every week. And you can follow us on social, particularly on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Now, in the meantime, please do take care, look out for each other, and join us on this journey as we learn together and lead together.